0: Scripture this morning uh, is from Joel chapter 2. You can open your Bible, or it's printed in there for you. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the, word, of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage your approach a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous of his, for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied." And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern area and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field. For the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for your abundant rain the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. This is the word of the Lord. Good
1: morning, Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, before I get started this morning as we continue in our sermon series in the book of joel i want to introduce a couple of people here that are here with us today first uh we have Y. Plummer, who is the african-american uh, ministry coordinator for our denomination raise your hand he in the very back where i usually stand and um yeah he, uh, i mean we, we we've been friends and and uh in this thing together for quite a while um 10 between somewhere between 10 and 15 years and um i'm here and still in this denomination and doing what i'm doing thanks to him and his work and in many other african-americans who are pastors um in our denomination uh really owe him a lot the work they do um to recruit and retain um, pastors in this denomination it can be tough since there's how many of us are there why 50 45 and how many out of how many out of 3,000. Okay. Um, that makes us the minority, why? <laughs> anyway, and secondly, I want to introduce John Wells. John, why don't you stand up real quick. Our new director of church operations here at Christ Central. And uh, he is finally here. Um, his wife and kids are not. They're still in Jersey. But uh, they're transitioning in, and we'll do a more formal Uh, introduction once they get here. So we turn our hearts and our minds toward the word this morning as we continue the book of Joel. I mean, I I can barely tell anymore, but I used to be pretty serious about lifting weights. And um, see how I do that? Look at that, one hand. (laughs) And like anyone else around my age, I can always look in the mirror and move in the right light. And kind of lie to myself about still having it. If you have to say, I still got it, you don't. (laughs) But recently I've been struggling with this shoulder thing. And I've told you all about it from the Pope. And I told some of y'all individual about this shoulder thing. Probably maybe too many times. It shows that I'm really scared by my new discovery of mortality. But bear with this midlife crisis, Pastor, so you can get this point. Have this painful hitch in my shoulder. That makes it impossible to bench press anything self or other impressive. So, you know, I had to deal with it. So I went to Ortho Carolina and the first thing they do is many of you have experienced when you go in there is uh, when you have a little pain is they try to recreate or cause you more pain in there for your own good. Right. So they rotate it this way and that way. And they ask, does this hurt? does that hurt? And I'm like, I didn't even think it hurt when I moved it that way. But since you twisted it that way for the first time, it hurts. I mean, dude, moved my arm and shoulder in ways that I didn't even know it could move and know there was pain. And then they are like, uh, we're going to give you this shot to ease the pain, Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown, but you'll have to change your workout. Yeah. That means they, that, that, that's what they tell the old people whose body uh, can't make good on the cortisone shot. But anyway, here comes a needle into my shoulder, a big blank needle. And then they give you that line, this is going to pinch a bit. (laughs) You mean hurt, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna make me suffer. And then the, it may be sore for a day or so, but that's normal. Sore, you mean resonant, continuing pain. Pain and fear seems, why? To always be inevitable before reality or hope or finding what is truly wrong or right or healing or recognizing that we need help sets in. For three weeks, Joel has been brutal to our humanity and our blown up, arrogant and unrealistic view of ourselves and our lowered, tame view of God. The scriptures by God's Holy Spirit has put hands on our lives and hearts and and twisted and turned them in ways you may not have wanted or known or expected. Asking you, does this hurt? Is there pain there? Is there brokenness there? Do you feel your mortality? Do you finally see who's God? Do you feel the pinch? Because as we have been... Twisted and moved Joel. Joel has shown and sought to convince us that this world is dangerously and relentlessly cruel and broken, that our religion has even failed us and that God is sure to judge with hellish wrath every one of our lives, whether we have a WWJD wristband or a praying hand tattoo or not. I believe that if we had not gone through that pinch for three weeks by Joel, we would not be true. Or grateful or just to the heavenly cortisone shot of relief God has for me and you, which is His gift and glory and grace of God repentance. And Joel is saying that God repentance happens when we change, change hearts and, and change lives. Now, when I think about change, I get real cynical. Because people don't really change, right? We, we simply adapt and act to survive, right? Now, I think, and I think that is true if change is only about you and what you want and, and what you can do for yourself. Understand that all that God judgment, the rabid locust, you, you, you sinner stuff was, was not just a prophecy. It was a process. God was leading his people through. They were experiencing the weight and truth and devastating reality of sin, just like we did as we went through it. And and it is why I even decided to take three weeks to tear our self-provided life and hope away from us and, and make you and your world and your terrible excuses face a even more just and terrible God in judgment. Because repentance that Joel is talking about, that brings a changed heart and changed life, is about going through changes. And so in verse 1, it says, I'm sorry, not verse 1, the first verse in our passage, verse 12, it says this. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and and rend your hearts and not your garments. The scripture is saying, come to me with a new heart, a heart that is rent or torn. Back then people would repent or express sorrow before God by tearing their clothing. But he's taking this on a whole new level. He is saying, tear your hearts, not your clothing. Or at the very least, tear your hearts first. Have your hearts torn first. When he says, all of you, come with me with all your heart. He is saying, come real before me. That true repentance is not just about going through or or beginning with religious motions. It begins with a changed heart. But here's the rub. Who can tear their own heart or souls? Literally, you can't touch them. You can be religious. You can play the game. You can say a lot of things. But who can actually take their souls in their own hands and tear them? It is therefore tearing of hearts and changing of hearts is about submitting to and walking through a God-designed heart-tearing process. You know what I think about and envision when we think about the heart change that leads to true repentance? That token dispenser thing in the arcade. Y'all remember what an arcade is? Just want to make sure. When you give them your cash, it out comes in this dish some change. Some token change where repentance happens when God takes your whole, your whole life and everything where God snatches you, where he bum rushes what is valuable to you, truly important to you, what you think really saves and makes you happy. And he rifles through it and, and, and he shakes you and me down on all that we thought we wanted and thought of this life. And we were all about, he, he processes us through real life experiences and God brought on disappointments. He even lets you your sin and mistakes cash you and sell you out. He, he, he liquidates our values invaluables with hard knocks and possibly soft and unseen God cat theft. Or maybe it is just a judgment stick up like last week's sermon and message where we are face to face as sinners before a sin and sinner judging God. But cha-ching, out from the other end, if God sees fit, if you've experienced God, even if it's a penny's worth or a dime's worth, you have been blessed because the token of God's grace is repentance down payment on a new life with the Lord. And so Joel is saying, come before the Lord and face this world with that changed heart. With the effects and actions of someone who has faced and seen and heard and believed the awesome and just God. Only because they have experienced and been confronted and shaken and deeply moved by the word and presence of an awesome God. The three weeks we went through all that stuff with Joel and all that hard judgment and all those issues. Was a process of change, and Joel teaches that that changed heart inevitably leads to a changed life. Look with me at verse with at verse fifteen. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride or chamber between the vestibule and the altar. Let the priest, the, the minister of the Lord, weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage reproach a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Well, verse 15 starts out with blow the trumpet on Zion. Now, that that was done and spoken about earlier in this chapter to alert God's people of the coming judgment of God on them and their lives, on their families, on their children, on their heritage, their everything and anything that was sin marred or damaged. Now, Joel is saying blow the trumpet on Zion. To, in light of God's coming judgment, to have a giant church service, if you will, where you meet him, where you go to him, where you come with everything and everyone, all of your relationships, all the people, God's people, who would be judged and lay out before the Lord. Now, let me tell you what this means. God's people are not waiting for the Lord to come in judgment. They are coming, coming. They are driven by change heart and returning and turning to the Lord. See, this is about turning yourself in and facing your life in full disclosure towards God as fully as you can possibly disclose it. God's people are gathering to tell on themselves For a tell on themselves church service, and by bringing even the children and the old folks too, they are telling on each other in the generations. They are throwing themselves and each other on the mercy of the court. This is an act of repentance. And here is the scary part. Look at verse thirteen. So it says, "And rain your heart, not your garments." Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's all good. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord, your God. In other words, go to this God. Who is just a few verses ago. Declared himself as a God capable and justified to bring and sing to hell for being sinful. Go and face and return and turn towards this God who like verse 6 in chapter 2 says, makes the people's faces grow pale in anguish and causes people's lives to tremble. Turn to him because just maybe, because of what else we know about him, just maybe we will be given Mercy. Now understand the fact that they say maybe means that repentance or your acts of repentance are not about warranting or deserving it. It's not about jumping through the right hoops or or tearing enough clothing or, or saying enough Hail Marys or whatever it is. It's not that you can't deserve it. God is not required to forgive you or just because, or, or just because you do a dance or because you are really sorry. A changed life of repentance is standing, let me say this, standing and living in a dangerous place in a dangerous way. It is turning from all you know, which is everything you know, to what only God can do. Repentance is being so punch drunk by God's presence, so desperate, so poor, so seeing nothing left and living apart from God, so guilty and shame rocked, having so emotionally lost it because of what the Lord has shown you about Him and your sin that you are willing to be a sinner. Who crawls and drags and invites others to crawl into the very hands of an angry about sin God. It is making ceremony. It is doing a worship service. Having church with empty hands. With nothing to bring. Without bribe. Or even a promissory note. Lord I promise I'll never do this again. Not that, you know, bringing that as if that's gonna be the thing that makes God forgive you because you've made a promise with nothing but offense and sin in admission before the Lord. This is actively admitting that I am living an empty life and I am doing things that are killing me as a person and offending you as a holy God. I am pitiful and sorry. And Lord, with all that being true, get this. I don't know how you, Lord, are going to do it or quite understand why you would or keep doing it because all I bring is mess. But somehow, I stand or kneel here wanting and still desiring to be yours, to be right and for you to be my God. Like that Rock of Ages song says, nothing in my hands I bring. But I am driven by you into that scary and terrible place right into your hands, Lord. And an angry God with a sinful people in his hand, Joel says, doesn't crush them. He comforts them. He doesn't hate on them. He has pity on them. He isn't sorry they are his. He wants them. Simply put, God repents. Now, the translation we have says relent. Change a P to an L to help you better understand. So you don't think that God sent. But the Hebrew word is repent. To turn towards. But instead of our repentance, which means pitiful, God's repentance means having pity on the pitiful. Our repentance means being comfortless in this world. God's repentance means providing comfort to the comfortless. Our repentance means to return. God's repentance means to welcome sinners back home. Look with me at verse 17 between the vestibule and the altar let the priest the ministers of the Lord weep say spare your people o lord and make not your heritage a reproach a byword among the nations why should they say among the peoples where is their god the priests the, the leaders are the people who go between god and the people are, are appealing to what god himself has done for his people they're declaring god's people righteous the word heritage means belonging to God. And the priests are saying, if they belong to you, as you have said, Lord, then they are holy. They are declared righteous by you and for you. These priests are simply redeclaring what God has already declared over his people. They are his. They are a reflection of his glory. They're his children. No matter how bad they have been, they are your children, Lord. So speaking for the people, they're asking, please, Father, God, Daddy, don't leave us out here to be locust food or sit in shame. Hide us, take us in, protect us, cover our naked shame, clothe us, Father God. These priests are reminding themselves and their God about their God of the only rela- relational reality that can save them. So why? Why should or would God spare these people? Obviously, they are no better than anybody else. In fact, early in the chapter, these religious Godly church folks were the centerpiece of God's wrath and anger. And if anyone deserves hell, it's those who talk like they know and follow God. Religious folks who God bless and treat others like they're better than them. And then who have turned their backs and lies on God. Why should they get mercy? Simply. Simply. Because they are the people of God. God has a thing for them. A thing. He started back with Abraham, and then when they were slaves in Egypt, God's got a thing. And that thing is God's doing. It is the Lord who decided to call and declare these ragamuffin people righteous and called them to be his people to glorify him and reflect his goodness on the earth outside of their own goodness and righteousness and be all they can be. But this forgiveness and God repentance is more about God being all he can be. Which means he's showing them. That he's not just a God of wrath and hell-bent judgment. But being all he can be for the people he's called his, he is saying, I am also a God who's full of grace and compassion and mercy and slow to anger. This is God honoring his own righteousness and character. A righteousness he put on these people and his own character as a God who is gracious and merciful. Let me say this. This is not fair. These people, gathered together, have nothing. In fact, in verse 14, it says, maybe God will leave something for us to sacrifice. They have nothing. Because the stuff that they would have to sacrifice to appease God, their sin has destroyed. They have nothing. Nothing. But messed up lives and messed up relationship with God and have helped like everyone else to bring judgment and God contempt on the earth. And yet the end of chapter 2 says this. Look with me at verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and cons of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. In other words, judgment is coming, God showing it, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Hear this now. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But there's more. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom what the Lord calls. Those who the Lord declares righteous. Those who belong to him, whom he calls to call on him. God repents four and two. and when God repents, it is not about fairness. It is about the grace, mercy, and compassion of God over his people. And in the face of judgment, in the hands of an angry God, when God declares his sinful people righteous, it becomes Lion King up in there. Remember when the land grows back when Simba comes back? Well, verse 18 says God became jealous for what? The land. Yeah, jealous for the land. See, when God's people are made right with their God, like Lion King Simba, when they are given back their rightful and righteous standing, God makes the crops grow back. And the sun shines and creation praises him and sings a new song. Can you hear it? You know that song? The Bible says it this way. Listen to all of it. We could do another sermon on it, but I'm going to just let you listen to it. It's joyful. Now let that Lion King music be in the background. Verse 19. The Lord answered and said to his people, behold, I am sending you grain and wine and oil. And you will be satisfied and, and I will no more make you reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner, you know, the northern, that's like the, the hyenas groups, right? For, far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land. His vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear rearguard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise for he has done great things. Fear not, O land, he's talking to the earth. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, the tree bears fruit, the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for your abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain, the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years That the swarming locusts has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. That's the Lion King right there. But for real. Walt Disney didn't write this. This is the word of God. Now, I want to emphasize that God did not stop judgment. It happened. Verse 25 says that the sin is definitely hurt and damage, but God gives his people, get this, the ability and call to live for him beyond and through and in spite of a sin broken world they find themselves in. He is giving back what God's people need to worship him and glorify him and live for him in this world and make this world and its stuff sing to him again. Remember, part of the judgment is that the things they needed to worship God were destroyed by sin and sin judgment. All they needed to glorify God, the stuff used in worship, the oil, the wine, the grain, God is giving back. And then he provides what it will take for them to keep being and surviving as a people. When God repents over our sin, hear this carefully. Because you can read this thing in the wrong way. He promises a posterity gospel, not a prosperity gospel. A prosperity gospel is that false belief and teaching that God is giving material things in life and good life to do what you want for your own happiness and glory. That ain't biblical. A posterity gospel is what God gives so that his name and his glory and his world and his love and his mission can keep going on the earth, that there is a present and future people who even in a fallen world, even those of you who struggle in sin, That they will continue and experience and bring the mission of Father God, the love of their Father God and their Father, the Father of mercy on the earth. That the people of God and you who will be the people of God, the God of the Bible is going to call you and that he's going to give you all that you need to worship him, to be joyful and glad and thankful and grateful and awesome to him as a redeemed people. And he will give it in a way where you don't take it like you deserve it. The people of God, with their blessings, are humble and loving. And giving and a repentant people and all that they have and do just like they're God and people like verse 27 says, don't operate and live out of shame and fear and selfishness or like people who have no help outside of themselves. And, uh, and being that kind of people, a person is only because God has repented and blessed them with the bounty of his grace. And then they become like what? Look at verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. I'll say it again this is a posterity gospel. A promise that God's people, you, you sinful person who's tried to cash it all out, who tried to even sell your own life out. That God's people will survive this generation and period of sin in their lives and still be and proclaim and live as if their God is relevant in and to this world. What's that mean, Pastor Brown? Break it down. Your sin and God's holiness should have meant your judgment. Your and my dismissal of God's holiness should have meant no chance of living with God who created us. Our sin should have made this world impossible to be joyful and hopeful and dreaming and visioning for. We should have no future hope. Our lack of righteousness should have meant... That you and your children and next generation are done. But God. But God. It is grace and mercy makes you righteous and what you do means something glorious and loving for and before God. But God. When you and I were on the brink of destruction as a people group or because of how messed up you and your family and mama and daddy and them was and and how screwed up and oppressive this world is, you should be slated for dismissal and fatal depression and rejection by God. But God said, I want you to be my family. This world should have killed you. Deepened your depression, made you become a sinful fool, lose your marriage, your family, your wife, your husband, your children. You should be estranged from each other. Made the fact that you didn't have a daddy or an abusive experience, make you fall down and die. But God took what was burnt and barren and should be burnt and barren and eaten by locusts. And Joel says he will restore the years that the locust has eaten. That what sin took away. God will restore His posterity a now and coming redemption that begins, get this, out of the bare situation you are in. You should hate God. You should not be able to come here and worship. Heck, the church should not be open so that sinners can come and God make them right. But God has made a way and a place to hear and know and believe and be changed in your heart and in your life in the face of judgment. In a world that can't get right, the Lord in his grace calls a people who can make the earth and the world sing praises and give prayers and find hope in him again. So we worship not out of obligation. But of the fact that God has changed us to be instruments, He has changed us and, and provided us to be artisans and laborers of grace in this world out of everything. And everything we do praise to Him. You are not bound by this world, the victory and, and dominant sin has had on you has been broken. Your destiny doesn't have to be what your sin has made it. The Lord has come and he's intervened. And now your mouth and your life dreams, dreams and sees visions. Because of God's grace, you can look at somebody else's life and say, you know what? It's not over yet. How can you see it? Because I have a dream and a vision of a Lord who's merciful and compassionate. You can look at that child child of yours or that friend of yours and get this, even your parents with a vision and a dream of redemption. You can look at the hard ground and barren situations in your family line and you can speak God's grace and mercy to it. And that means today, right now, and tomorrow, that if you are trapped or lost without an identity or hope in who you are and what you do because of sin or sinful behavior or way has got you that way, your are your sin mistakes don't have to be your inevitable end and your defining destiny. You can repent. Because God repents and calls you and reminds you that you are righteous and that for you as people, that he is all he can be, slow to anger, compassionate, pitying, comforted, and loving you as his people. Come on in without being sure of yourself. Come to him, having never been victorious in what you're struggling with, and turn to him. And it means that if you're standing right now, outside the righteousness of God, Verse 31 says, standing right before the great and awesome day of the Lord. You know who you are. That the Lord may be calling you to be his right now. Verse 14 says, just maybe he will leave behind a sacrifice of grain and wine and oil." These people needed an offering to be right before God, and they didn't have one to sacrifice. They had nothing to take on their sins. They had no more religious activities or churchy things to do to appease God's wrath. They came with nothing, and they needed God to give it. And then the priest, in verse 19, they called forth a sacrifice that was appeasing to God, but that sacrifice came from God and not them for their sin. Understand what church people got. Believers are all about. I said it maybe five times already, but I want to hear, let you hear it clearly. These are people who come with nothing to offer God, and everything for God to judge them and condemn them. An amazing. Like these priests, God sent Christ going before and between God and us, pleading our case like these priests did here. But in the absence of a sacrifice for ourselves, Jesus repented for us, becoming a perfect repentance. He put himself forward to be crushed in God's angry hand, angry hand so that we could be blessed and covered and covered and cleaned by God's merciful hand. You can't be righteous, God's people, without Jesus being your Lord, your priest, your righteousness, the taker of your sins. In Christ Jesus, God repents. God repents. This is not the end for you. This is only the beginning. Because God has stepped up in your brokenness, in your broken religion, in morality, in trying to be the goody two shoes person, trying to cover your own shame of a family going bad and all the things you've ever done and all the promises you broke. And He's going to give you mercy and compassion through Jesus Christ. That's all I know. I don't have a plan. I don't have a one, two, three, or A, B, C. You will only be righteous and joyful and glad in the way God created us to be and now redeeming us to be if you come to Christ. There's no other way. You can change your clothes, you can change your hairstyle, you can cut your locks off. It doesn't matter. You can stop listening to bad music. Christ alone is where we find God repentant.